0: Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding
1: Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, everyone. Sorry, good morning, everyone. This morning I'm reading um, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. The rich and the kingdom of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God.
0: Bree, thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? If you were here last week, I might sound a little different. I'm feeling a whole lot better. I uh, had the flu for a couple of weeks, and boy, it's nice to be back on deck. So uh, good to be with you. Um, a couple of things just to mention before we get started. Uh, We've got some really talented people, haven't we? I don't know if you noticed Mr. Terry Rankin, who's usually on the guitar, now on the the drums. Just some great musical talent. So Terry, thank you for blessing us with that. And also Jet. Now Jet is one of our young adults who is leading into exam season. And yet he's here on a Sunday morning blessing us, leading us in worship. So if you see Jet, if you see some of our other young adults, it's exam time, so let's keep them in our prayers. Hey, this morning we are going to start a new series, and this year our our overarching theme is Growing Deeper. We're talking about how we grow deeper in our faith, in our hope, in our love, growing deeper in our knowledge of God. And a number of our series are focused on helping us do that, and this one certainly is. It's called Encountering Jesus, Encountering Jesus. And and there's a sort of a, a question mark with it, Growing Deeper, question mark? And what we're going to see as we go through this series, uh, we've chosen four examples in the Gospel of Mark of people and groups of people who meet Jesus, and we're going to talk about what happened. What did that encounter look like? And there's a question through and at the end of each encounter for each person and group, are they going to grow deeper? So I'm excited about this series, and we're going to launch into it with the story that Bree just read to us, The Rich Young Ruler. So let's, let's talk about this guy. Who is this, this person? Uh, Brie read for us in verse 17, it was a guy, a man ran up to Jesus. A man ran up to Jesus. A- and later on we see in what Brie read that he had great wealth. So we, we know that he's rich. What's really interesting though is that this story also appears in Matthew and Luke. And it's only in Matthew's gospel that he's called young. And in Luke gospel that he's called a ruler so this idea if you've heard it before of the rich young ruler he doesn't appear like that in any of the single stories we sort of put that together and so the same story in three different gospels it's the rich young ruler fascinating and we learn a number of things about this guy right off the bat in that very opening sentence he ran up to Jesus now now this was very unusual if you were a ruler in those times you didn't really run anywhere So he's running towards Jesus and then he falls on his knees. Also a little bit unusual if you have the status of a a rich ruler. So what we see in that very first verse is that the attitude of this person is actually quite a reverent one. He's actually so excited to see Jesus that he breaks some cultural norms and he falls on his feet, on, on his knees. And he says good teacher. He calls Jesus good, so he's he's coming in an attitude and with words of reverence. And his question is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life, Jesus? Now let's talk about this idea of eternal life just for a second, because we have this preconception about what it means, But for a Jewish person in that time, it it meant something slightly different. So for the Jewish people, they were living in what they called the present age. And the present age was one which was where God was... He was present, but but not everything was how God had really wanted to be organised. It wasn't like the good old days of King David where the Jewish people, God's people, were in charge and, and the relationship with other nations, was everything was right. God was in charge, the Jewish people were in their rightful place. In the present age, they were under the oppression of the Romans. Things weren't quite right. So they were looking forward to the age to come. It would be ushered in by a Messiah, and in this age to come, that's where you wanted to have your treasures stored up, you wanted to have eternal life, because that's where God's kingdom would be restored. And so what this young guy is asking, he's saying, teacher, how can I sort of transfer my wealth? I'm rich now, so everything's fine here and now. How can I transfer my wealth, make sure I'm fine in this age to come, when, when God does restore the kingdom? I want to be fine then. How do I get that? Do you relate to this guy at all? This rich young ruler? Maybe. Maybe you think no. I mean, he's rich, right? 30 people in Australia are billionaires. 30 people in Australia 1000000000 billionaires. I'm not sure we've got any. Hands up. Are you one of Australia's 30 billionaires? I'm not sure. I don't think I've met any in our church just yet. Um... I'd say, no, look, I'm not a billionaire. I'm certainly not rich. Young? Well, many of you are. Some of you aren't, and some of us aren't sure anymore. I'll keep moving on that one. Uh, ruler. Am I a ruler? Well, I'm not the queen. I'm not uh, Meghan, Ma- I'm sorry, the Duchess of Sussex. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a ruler in that sense. Now, if you've watched The Castle, though, perhaps, perhaps we are rulers of our own home, and maybe the TV, and the cat, and the dog, and the pool room. So, not sure about that, are we rulers? But really, I think we come to this passage and we say, this rich young ruler, he's someone different. He's not me. I I can't really relate. But I want to challenge that this morning. I want to challenge us and our thinking here because here's a person who's made an effort to come to Jesus, who's humbled himself by running, falling on his knees and saying, good teacher, he's reverent, and he's eagerly awaiting the teacher's advice. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Let's see what happened next. Well, Jesus responds and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Interesting. Jesus answers the question with a question. Why does he do that? I'm pretty sure Jesus knew the answer, But he answered the question with a question, why do you call me good? And the reason we do that, the reason Jesus did that is he's trying to open up the assumptions of the question that's being asked. And he's putting forward this proposition. He's saying, hang on, you call me good, but no one is good except God alone. Are you calling me God? And he leaves it hanging. Just leaves it hanging there and we'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus answers this question by saying, you've got a whole bunch of assumptions in that question, I'm going to try and open those up. And then Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments. And he lists this, he lists the Ten Commandments, but interestingly, he doesn't start from the top, and we'll come back to that as well. So he lists these commandments, and the guy goes, oh, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. All these I've kept since I was a boy. Now we've got no reason to doubt that he was telling the truth. We're going to assume that he was telling the truth. We also, though, we don't know though what tone he used. And you know, this could have been a, well of course I've kept them. A very defensive, yes, I've, I've kept them since I was a boy. Or it could have been a, uh, an eager, oh I've kept them since I was a boy. You know, I've ticked that box, I wonder what's next. I'm, I'm about to get what I'm looking for. We're not quite sure of the tone in this passage. But however the tone of this young man came across, here's what we read next. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Looked this guy in the eyes and loved him. Wow. All is going to plan so far, this guy has come, he's fallen on his feet, on his knees. He's eagerly asking Jesus. This is not a rich oppressor. You know, sometimes in the Old Testament we read about rich people and the terrible things they're doing, oppressing the poor. This is not a guy like that. He's kept the commandments. He's actually really faithful to what he believes in. No doubt he regularly goes to the temple and now he's humbly coming before Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm seeking what you've got to tell me. Can you relate to that now? I mean, here we are on a Sunday morning in church. There are lots of other things that you could be doing this morning. But no, counterculturally, you've come to church. And you might be sitting there and you've probably, if you're like me, not murdered, not committed adultery this week. Uh, Maybe you called your mum and dad like I did. I mean, yes, I kept the Ten Commandments mostly this week. I'm feeling pretty good about it myself. And now here I am on Sunday morning and I'm saying, yes, Lord, I want to grow deeper. I think we've got a lot in common with this young man. And Jesus looks at us and he loves us. And then he says, One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This one, two sentences from Jesus changes this person's perspective on all of life. Here we have the nutshell, the kernel of the encounter with Jesus. All these things build up and then suddenly, bang, the paradigm is blown open. And what we find, and we're going to unpack this as we go in the next few minutes, we find that Jesus proves to be more personal, more demanding, and having more to offer than this man ever imagined. Because Jesus starts by saying, sell everything, everything you have and give it to the poor. Everything? Is that that normal? Is that the standard? Is Jesus setting a standard here? Is that what he's saying to you and I this morning? Go, sell everything you have to the poor then, come follow me. Well, I don't think it is because notwithstanding the other two passages to tell the same story in Matthew and Luke. There is nowhere else in the Bible where somebody is told to give everything away. You might know the story of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, was up in a tree, Jesus came along and said, I'm having dinner at your place. He said, okay. And at that dinner, Zacchaeus happily gave away half of what he'd accumulated. Or how about this passage that I found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, I think up on the screen we'll have 18 to 19. This is Paul talking to Timothy and saying, Timothy, here, young pastor, Timothy was a pastor, here's how I want you to talk and deal with the rich people. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Mm. It almost looks like the same question being asked, doesn't it? Life in the coming age. True life, eternal life is the question. And yet here, the command is do good, be rich in good deeds be generous and willing to share. It's not, go and sell everything. So what is Jesus saying to this young man? Is this complete hyperbole? Is he just extending an example? Is he trying to make a point? Well, perhaps. But more importantly, I think what Jesus is doing is he is pinpointing the critical issue for this person. This is a very personal message for this particular man. He seems to be living a good life. But what Jesus says to him is, you know what? If you really want to have eternal life, if you really want this fullness of life in the coming age, in fact, if you want the fullness of life now, you've got to change your mindset. It's not about looking for something to add on. It's actually about coming to follow me. You asked about eternal life, and I can tell you that At the moment, your security is in your wealth. And that's what I want to change. Not because I want your wealth, but because I love you and this is going to be better for you. It's totally intentional on Jesus' behalf. We looked at the Ten Commandments earlier that he didn't run through from the start. Because you'll notice that at the start, it talks about loving the Lord your God and at the end, it talks about covetousness and greed. And they are the two things that perhaps were the struggle for this man. So Jesus, in his gentleness and kindness, says, hey, did you keep these ones? You did. I knew you did, but well done. Now let's talk about what we really need to talk about. So the command here is not to give all away for everybody. It's not a norm. This is a personal revelation for this person. The second thing about this revelation is, of course, it's so much more demanding than this guy hoped for. So much more demanding. You know, I suspect he was hoping for a bit of a a pat on the back. And, uh, well, here's what you need to do. Maybe uh, if you just um, uh, serve a little bit more over here and uh, sponsor another few orphans and uh, maybe volunteer uh, in the kids' area uh, at least once every two weeks, eternal life is yours. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus has this enormous request of essentially everything. Have you ever watched The Biggest Loser? Ever seen that show? I don't know if it's on anymore, but but I used to watch some of it. And it was a show, if you haven't seen it, about people who wanted to lose weight. In fact, lose a lot of weight. And uh, in this show, you'd have these people who are very excited about coming on the show and losing weight. You know, that's what they wanted to do. That's what they were there for. And, and it was great TV because we could see the struggle. You could see the struggle of people wrestling with more exercise and, and what they were eating. And the real question was, are you prepared to give up your comfort food? Are you prepared to give up that food and your lifestyle for a better lifestyle? And what you'd see is after a while of these people doing a whole lot of exercise and eating a lot of celery, they just get to that point where they were given a little bit of freedom. And in that freedom, sometimes you'd see those people who'd sneak that extra 15 donuts or those three whole cheesecakes because they were going back to, you know, they sort of wanted this new lifestyle, but actually, oh, there's just so much comfort and goodness over here too And you could see them being torn. And what would happen is people would leave the show over time and some of them you would see, you'd see them all, I don't know, three, six months later, whatever the duration of the show was. And for some of them you could see they'd wrestled, but actually the pull of the comfort food, I can't give that up permanently. I can't give it up permanently. I can't give it up completely. But there were a few who had recognised, you know what, if I give up this thing that I was having some security, and this thing that I enjoyed permanently, my life is changed. Many couldn't handle it, but some did, and a new life was born. Jesus says to this man to truly experience this new life, this full life, you need to give up the things you're holding on to at the moment. Now, I want to be just... Put a little caveat in there. I understand that obesity can be a a real challenge for some people, so I'm not in any way belittling that. But I'm saying there's some similarities in that show with the holding on to what's old and wrestling with going to what's new. My third point here, so we've talked about how personal Jesus is here. We've talked about how demanding, but, but you know what? Demanding is balanced by this third point, which is how much Jesus has to offer. And the interesting thing here is that if we are still in the phase of holding on, we see it more as demanding something that I don't want to give away. But as soon as we start to see the amazing thing that Jesus is offering, we recognise that it's not because he doesn't want us to have this good thing, it's because he wants us to have something better. Jesus is saying to this guy, if you want this freedom, the joy, the purpose in life that I offer, you've got to let go of the security that you're finding in your wealth. Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? Do you say that I'm God? And if you say that I'm God, I'm telling you that I know the best thing for you and the best thing for you is to release the hold that wealth has on you. And for you young man, not for everybody, but for you young man, that means you're gonna have to sell it all to get rid of that so you can fully focus on me. Jesus asks for a lot, but he offers a lot more. So how does that guy respond? How does he respond? Into this personal, more demanding request that offers more than he could ever imagine. It's an incredible opportunity. You know, I think this guy might have liked our theme. I can well imagine this young ruler falling at Jesus' feet within the back of his mind. Jesus, I want to grow deeper. That's the catchy little phrase that me and my rich, young ruler mates have got for this year. I want to grow deeper. So how does he respond when Jesus says, here's how? In verse 22, the text tells us, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What we don't know here is we don't know what happened in the end. We know that in the moment of this encounter, the young man said, oh, that's too hard. His face fell. And we get the clear impression that he walked off not able to do that thing. But we don't know what happened over time. And, you know, it, it, it's pure speculation on my part. But, but I think there are two ways this young man's life could have gone. And the first one is, and you might have experienced this, where a seed is sown Perhaps even this morning or or in a podcast or something, you're reading the Bible and a seed is sown in your life and you go, oh, that makes sense, but I can't do that right now. But over time, that seed grows and it changes you. And I wonder whether this young man might have been one of those 3,000 at Pentecost who said, yes, I'm ready. I've been thinking about what Jesus said. It's groaning me, and now I'm ready to follow him. That's possible. We don't know. The other possibility is that his heart started to harden. Lots of justification came in. Like, well, look, you know, he's just a teacher. I'm not sure that was quite right. And he said to my God, I don't think, I'm not sure that Jesus is God. The hardening begins as you start to rationalise away what Jesus has said to you in that encounter. We don't know what happened to this young man. There are two different paths that he could have taken. There's another encounter, though, that we're going to look at. We've looked at the encounter of this young man with Jesus, watching where all the disciples, watching, listening to this conversation. And when the young man goes, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, it says, were amazed at his words. We would be too. Jesus, what are you doing? This was a good guy. He kept the commandments. He's humble. Look, he's coming to you. He really believed this, Jesus. He wanted to follow you. And by the way, if you had just told him about tithing and 10%, you know, we could have done a whole lot more with our ministries. But instead, you asked for it all and you pushed them away. Their mind is kind of blown. What are you doing, Jesus? So Jesus says, he didn't say this, but he basically said, well, let me make my point again. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus here is throwing in a little bit of an exaggeration. And why do we know this? Because he does it elsewhere in the Bible. You might have heard that story where it talks about the plank in your eye. First take the plank out of your own eye. No one has a plank in their eye. Jesus was using that to say, I want to make a point here. And there's another fantastic sentence that Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he says to them, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So Jesus likes his camel analogies. Uh, so in this one, I think what Jesus is saying is, I want to make a significant point to you, my, my disciples, about how hard this is. And I actually, I do want to touch on something else too. You might have heard this. I heard it growing up. The idea that this story, the camel and the eye of the needle, that the eye of the needle was actually a gate into the city of Jerusalem and that uh, it was a low gate. And when the rich merchants' camels came in, they actually had to take all the stuff off the camel so the camel could sort of sneak through. Have you heard that? You may have heard that. Well, as I researched this uh, sermon this in the last week or two, I found out that that was a story concocted in the 9th century. There's no record of it earlier than that. So it seems that what Jesus is saying here is actually, I'm just trying to make a really important point, that cannot fit through that. And the disciples are gobsmacked. And they're gobsmacked for two reasons. They're gobsmacked because in Deuteronomy 30, there's a, there's a, a verse that The Jewish people read as saying, if you do the right thing, you keep all the commandments, you will be blessed and you'll probably be rich. And so they're in this paradigm of thinking, this guy was good. He did the right things, hence he's rich. And you're saying he can't enter the kingdom of God? Well, who can? And it's deeper than that. The second thing for the disciples, then, the really difficult thing is hang on, how can we get to heaven? If all that I can do is obey the law and I still can't get to heaven, well, then who can be saved? And here Jesus uses this encounter to say, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. So right here, Jesus is pointing to himself as saviour. He's saying to his disciples, you've seen this go down. You've been amazed. But the important thing is that the paradigm, your worldview of what eternal life means, of what it means to be saved, of how you get saved needs to change. I am the saviour of the world. You are saved by God's grace through faith, not by what you do. Jesus is saying that to his disciples in this encounter, using the example of the rich young ruler. So what do we do with it this morning? What do we do with this story where I've said, well, look, the the rich thing probably doesn't apply. But here's what does apply. Jesus turns our thinking upside down. He gives a startling revelation of what the kingdom's really about. It's giving away whatever our security is in and fully focusing on him because he is the way, the truth, the life. He's the one who gives freedom and joy that we can't imagine. And the question for us, as it was for the young man, as it was for the disciples, is what do we do with that encounter this morning? Will we grow deeper? Now, I'm wondering when you feel you last encountered Jesus. For some of you it might be clear, for others that might be a difficult question. Did he challenge you to grow deeper? Was there something that you've felt the Holy Spirit talking to you about, that you've read in the Bible? Or maybe you don't know Jesus at all, and there's this prompting that's like, oh, there's something there. But how did you respond to that challenge? Maybe your response was an immediate one, like that story of Zacchaeus that I referred to, where there was an immediate and happy, I get it. I see the amazing thing Jesus has offered. I'm going to give away the thing that is holding me back so that I can follow Jesus completely. And if that's you, fantastic. I want to encourage you to share your story of transformation because that is so powerful. Or perhaps you're on a sort of a delayed response or or you've got this example in your head, we had this encounter and over time you realised, yes, I do want to do that. A little bit like the disciples. We read about the disciples for three years following Jesus and Jesus is constantly saying, don't you get it? but then they got it and they went and ministered to the whole world. Maybe that's your story. That's how you handled the encounter. Can I encourage you also share the story? Share that story of how meeting Jesus has transformed your life. Perhaps the seeds growing inside you, you're not at the end of the story yet. Perhaps you've had this encounter and there's something inside you that's stirring away. I want to encourage you to pray with somebody. Find somebody to share that story, even if you're not ready to give it away. You know, if that rich young ruler had gone to his rich young ruler mates and said, ah, this teacher Jesus said something and there's something in it, but I'm just not ready yet. I can't do that. Let's pray about it. I wonder if that would have helped him. I'm sure it will help us because the Holy Spirit is with us, helping us in that encounter. And finally, if you're in a place where you say, you know what, I think I've hardened my heart. Sometime, maybe long ago, I had this encounter and and I think I heard this thing, but I can't do that. And actually, I don't really want to share it with anybody because I'm a a bit embarrassed. It's a bit hard. I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you. Pray about it and share it with somebody, just somebody that you trust that can pray for you. Not with a pressure of you have to change, but just with the hope that comes with a God who can change our hearts. Because this passage is full of hope. I want to take you back to the central verse. Jesus looked at the young man, knowing all about him, knowing the decisions he would make, and loved him. Jesus said, You can't save yourself by your own actions no matter how good you are, no matter what laws you keep. But I can. And that's what he says to all of us this morning as well. He's looking at us, loving us, in full knowledge of who we are and inviting us to grow deeper, inviting us to see this picture of freedom and joy and purpose in life that he has for us as we look to release what's holding us and follow him. Why don't we pray together? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that through your scripture and by your Holy Spirit, we can encounter you. That this morning we've encountered you. That as we read your word, we can encounter you. And we thank you that you know us intimately and personally. And even in that intimate, personal love, you look at us and love us. Thank you for your desire to give us life, more life, life abundant in you. We pray for the courage to listen. Pray for the courage to follow you, and that we might live life in the freedom, joy, and purpose that you give. We acknowledge in ourselves that's impossible, but you, Lord Jesus, have made it possible. Thank you, and Amen.